Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin Hale. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of scripture and theology. Today is Westminster Wednesday, so we're breaking from our look at Jonah to take a look at the next section of the Confession of Faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which serves along with the larger and shorter catechisms as the Confession of Faith for the Presbyterian Church in America, better known as the PCA. And so we're taking time each week, one day a week, to look at what the confession teaches. What is the theology that it summarizes, the biblical theology that it summarizes and gives to us in this confession? We've made our way up to chapter 3 in the Confession of Faith, which is titled, Of God's Eternal Decree. And as it lays out the sovereignty of God and his decrees and his freedom in his decrees, we're dealing with what many think of as kind of the heart of Reformed theology. The fact that God is sovereign, these ideas of foreknowledge and predestination and all of those things that if you were a Christian in college, you undoubtedly spent late nights debating with your friends. Now, this is a key point of Reformed theology, undoubtedly. But I don't know that we can summarize Reformed theology just as a belief in these ideas. Indeed, particular Baptists would affirm with us these ideas, but much of what is rightly considered Reformed theology, the, the covenants and how they structure Scripture and how they inform our understanding of the sacraments and all of these things, they wouldn't agree with us on. So Reformed theology can't be boiled down just to a belief in God's absolute sovereignty. Nonetheless, this is one of the sticking points for many people when it comes to Reformed theology. We make our way up to chapter 3, paragraph 2. And it's driving right in to one of the ongoing debates in this discussion. So let me pray for us, and then I'll read that paragraph of the confession and offer some thoughts on why this matters for the Christian life. Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom as we delve into these thoughts that are incredible that are far beyond what really we can grapple with. We recognize that all we can do is faithfully seek to summarize what your word says and to believe that. And so we ask that you would help us to do just that, to faithfully summarize your word and to believe what it teaches. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Westminster chapter 3 Paragraph 2 deals with the knowledge of God, and this is what we read. Although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future, or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions. Now, with this paragraph, we are diving into what is some incredibly technical language about foreknowledge. We, we are getting into to a very, very technical issue here. 
And so I want to give a brief history of, of some of what's being discussed here. For, for, you know, since at least the time of Augustine, really, before that, because we see these discussions, these same discussions being wrestled with in the book of Romans in particular, those famous chapters 9, 10, and 11. But, but this discussion of God's sovereignty has been a, a hard discussion, a hard point for people from the very beginning. Even in John chapter 6, when God says that, or when Jesus says, he is God, of course, when Jesus says that the Father draws people and that no one can come unless the Father draws them, and he, he lays out these ideas of the sovereignty of God in salvation, we read that it is a hard teaching, and because of it, many people quit following Jesus. So this isn't a new discussion. It's a discussion that goes way back in church history. But in the late 1500s, there was a Spanish theologian named Louis de Molina. And he came up with this idea that is called middle knowledge. He, of course, used much fancier Latin language. But the idea of middle knowledge is exactly what is being dealt with here in paragraph 2 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, paragraph 2. It's not denying middle knowledge. It affirms middle knowledge is the idea that God knows not only what will happen or, or, or what can happen, but that he knows all the possibilities and that he knows all the contingencies, that he knows whatever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions. So the confession doesn't deny that God has middle knowledge, or what Molina referred to in that way. However, it does deny that his possession of this middle knowledge affected how he decreed things to be. See, that was kind of what Molina was pushing towards, was that because God knew if I do X, or if I decree X, then person A will respond in a particular way. Therefore, if I want that person to be saved, then I'll bring about the conditions that will lead to him being saved. This is popularized in theology by statements like this. God looked down the corridor of time and saw what would lead to your salvation to your freely choosing him, and he decreed those conditions. See, what Molina was trying to do was, was hold tightly to the absolute free will of man. Now, I, I understand I'm being, I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying. This is a debate that has gone on for 1,500 years at least. I'm not going to get into every detail in the 15 minutes or so that we have. But So I'm simplifying this, but, but that's the idea is that God has looked down the corridor of time, seen what we would do, seen the conditions that would bring about us, his people, professing faith, and he decreed those conditions. And the goal here is to keep God from being the one who decrees the salvation of individuals. The confession rejects that position. It says that while he does have this absolutely perfect knowledge of whatever could come to pass under all possible conditions, 
that knowledge didn't affect what he decreed. In other words, he is free even in relation to the knowledge that he himself possesses. He has not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future or because it would come to pass under certain conditions. So the confession is affirming God's complete freedom in his decrees. Now, we've got to be careful here. We, we, we are, are affirming what the Bible teaches. And we've got to recognize what we're not affirming, though. Affirming the absolute sovereignty of God, the, the perfectly comprehensive scope of his knowledge and his complete freedom does not entail that we, his creatures, those of us who affirm these ideas, affirming them doesn't entail that somehow we possess the same knowledge. This is why it doesn't undo prayer. This is why it doesn't undo evangelism and the free offer of the gospel. Because it is God who has this knowledge, not us. So, it also doesn't imply that we live perfectly consistently with what we affirm about God. We'll get more into that in a second. Nor again does it mean that we can give a treatise on this matter that satisfies the, the myriad questions that flow from our human curiosity and our self-exalting views of our freedom and ability to do what's right. No, affirming these truths is merely affirming what Scripture plainly teaches. And again, these aren't new questions. Paul says as he's laying out these ideas of sovereignty, as he tells us that God will have mercy on whom he has mercy, and as he gives all these ideas, as he reminds us that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy, he says in Romans 9, verse 19 and following, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? It's a logical question, it seems, right? At least from our perspective. If he is so perfectly sovereign, if his decrees don't depend on anything that we have done that he has foreseen, then how in the world can he still find fault? And here's Paul's response. But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? See, what Paul does, his response is to say, wait a minute. We're the creature. He's the creator. We don't get to be frustrated with him. We don't get to, to, to question why he's done things the way he has. Now, I said earlier that our belief in this doesn't mean that we live perfectly consistently with it. Likewise, our denial of the, the perfectly free decree of God also doesn't mean that we live perfectly consistent with our views. Chad Van Dixhorn in his commentary on the confession says this, The decree of God has been the subject of too much debate in the history of the church. The reality is that the parties in these disputes are often much closer to one another than they admit. The happy truth is that those who dispute the absolute lordship of God check their arguments at the door when they enter their closets to pray. 
The sad truth is that those who defend a doctrine of divine sovereignty often complain when things do not go their own way, forgetting that their grumbling is against God. So when we affirm these ideas, we're not saying that we also have this knowledge and know exactly how it all works or that we live perfectly consistently with it. We're simply laying out what it is that Scripture teaches. The glorious truth that God, in His decrees, was perfectly free and wasn't acted upon by anything outside of Him. He's not subject to us and what we might or might not do in any given condition. Rather, we are subject to Him. And there's comfort in this. Because this means that all that has come to pass has come to pass precisely according to what He desired for His glory and our good. And so we can rest in it rather than freaking out and, and driving ourselves into this turmoil of, oh, well, God decreed this, so I would respond a certain way. How? Wh what is that way? No. God has worked out his will perfectly. Not determined by how I or you might or might not respond to any given circumstance. He's free in his decree. And his decree is for his glory and our good. And so we can rest. We can rest in this knowledge. We can rest in this profession. We can rest in the sovereignty of our God, knowing that me staying in his will isn't dependent upon me responding in some secret right way to a condition that he has brought about. But he has brought about everything freely and perfectly for his glory and my good. Amen. Mm -hmm.